Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Eric Bilstadt, we've got this crappy weather that is coming in. You know who we blame this on? You know whose fault this is? It's always the weather guy's fault. It's right? not the weather guy's. It's my wife. <laughs> it, 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 it's yeah, we blame Fran because here here is the deal. Um, tomorrow morning, she's on a six thirty flight out out to Florida. She's going to be there for a couple weeks, and I have noticed a pattern over the course of the last you know month or so, last two months. We, we've actually had relatively mild winters, mm-hmm, but whenever mm-hmm. she travels, meaning I have to either drive like tomorrow morning, I will take her to the airport, drop her off like at five in the morning, mm-hmm, get on sure. the flight. Um, and when, whenever it is that I have to either drop her off or pick her up, it's always a snowstorm. <laughs> I, and I have noticed that because it, 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 you can mark your calendars by this. It's like, okay, we could go along. We have really great weather. Oh, France leaving town. Oh, France coming into town. <laughs> it's snowing, you know, meaning that I have to, like, go through all that. It's her fault. Well, I hope she doesn't go anywhere starting in June you and know, beyond. No I don't think so. I think this is, I, I, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, geez, okay, so the flight is 630. That means I got to get to the airport at 5, which means we have to leave at some other time. And I'm like, Okay. Oh, good. We've got like mm. heavy, wet snow and ice <laughs> yeah. coming in. Yeah, it's. Yes, but it is sir. the last couple trips. It's been like that. It's been so. I blame her. There's just. It, it might be just a coincidence, but I'm starting to see a All pattern. Right, well, I'll jump on that bandwagon. A- absolutely. Yeah. It's no. I don't blame the weather guys. I just think it's 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 Fran's fault. But what can you do? All right. Let us get started. We do not go gently into the good week. Um. There is a huge controversy. Now that, that we are a year or so into COVID, and one of the big questions that's out there is, what did we get right and what did we get wrong in dealing with this? And I am starting to wonder whether we got the shutdowns right. Now, now hear me out on this. And again, I... I understand that people, uh, I understand that we, there's all sorts of stuff that we didn't know uh, about COVID, right? Uh, that's why I, I don't fault, for example, government when they came out and said, okay, you don't need to wear a mask. And then they shifted 90 days later and said, you need to wear a mask. I think that's just one of the things about the evolving science. But one of the things that's happened is some communities and some states went into full lockdown mode and um, arguably, you can argue that Wisconsin, we're not in full lockdown mode, but we're still in, we're still in lockdown mode. Other states have not been that way. And one of the things they're starting to see is the states that haven't been in full or semi-full lockdown mode, they're not doing any worse than the states that are in lockdowns. And in some cases, they're doing better, which makes me wonder whether we went the right way in dealing with the lockdown. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I made this point early on when we started talking about masks. And again, I'm not an anti-mask guy. If the rules are you wear masks, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. But if you look at some of the states that were very, very aggressive when it came to, like, mask rules from the beginning, California, California has been a nightmare and California has mandatory mask rules and all sorts of fines for enforcement. I mean, California has been aggressively enforcing mask rules pretty much for the last year. And California's numbers 
are not good at all. So it makes me wonder, you know, do the masks make any difference? Do the lockdowns make any difference? One of the big stories in contrast is Florida. And from the beginning, Florida took a different approach to this. The governor of Florida decided that, look, he wanted to follow the science. And what he noticed is that if you're looking at deaths, deaths create the death risk increases with each decade of age. That's where the real risk is. More than 80 percent of covid deaths in the U.S. have occurred among seniors over the age of 65. And of course, seniors make up a a larger select section of the Florida's population than any other state, I think, except Maine. So from the beginning, the governor of Florida concentrated on, look, here's what we're going to do. We are going to concentrate on on the nursing homes. We're going to concentrate on the senior living communities. And, you know, that that's where the emphasis is going to be. And, yeah, they had a shutdown for a couple weeks, but they pretty much lifted the shutdown after that, putting all their resources into protecting the most vulnerable. And now, you know, what they find is that Florida's death rate, it's in the middle of the pack. It's similar to California. Florida's death rate among seniors is about 20% lower than California, 50% lower than New York. Um, despite opening up the community, what they found is Florida's infection rate stayed on a par with California, where pretty much everything was closed down. And Florida has begun, last May, they began a phased reopening, allowing restaurants, barbershops, etc., to open at about 50%, and then later they just completely blew away for those, th- those, those numbers. And what they're seeing is the numbers of infections aren't aren't any larger as a general rule than they are anywhere else. And like I say, maybe lower than some. Now, Florida, I I concede that Florida, because of the weather, you have people that can be outside all year round, as opposed to, say, in a Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where you're you're trapped inside. And the possibility of COVID spreading is much greater if you're inside in a closed environment. So I, I understand that it's not necessarily a pure apples to oranges thing but a year into this a year into this were all the lockdowns necessary or did we go too far are we still going too far with a lot of the capacity limits that we have put into place 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line if we were to learn for this and i'm not attributing bad motives but i think you can make a strong argument that essentially if we would have allowed businesses to reopen sooner than we did here the numbers would not be materially worse than they are now. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And that pretty much, it seems to me, is a pretty strong argument, especially as the weather gets nicer, for just saying it's time to open the state back up fully. You can still put the mask rules into effect if you want, but these limits on capacity and things like that, it's time to get back to normal. 855-616-1620, what do you think? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, now, now here, here's the numbers for everybody that says follow the science. All right, in, in the fall and the winter, what you saw was in New York and California, major lockdowns because the, the, they had the surge again, so they had major lockdowns. Florida stayed, st- stayed open for business. And, and here's the deal. 
and we now know the numbers. There doesn't appear to have been any difference in the spread of the virus between November 1st and the end of February. 5.8 new cases per 100 people in New York. It was locked down. 6.4 new cases per 100 in California, which was locked down. Only five in Florida, where businesses could stay open at full capacity. Now, the economic impact of the lockdown has been huge in California, huge in New York. Florida is booming because right away they said, look, here, we're going to we're going to follow the science and we're going to be concerned about deaths and we're going to prioritize putting resources into protecting the elderly. And that's and that's what they did. And yes, and even though they have more elderly people who live in Florida than any other state, like I say, except Maine, their their death numbers were not out of whack because they concentrated their efforts on on where it needed to be. Whereas in states like Wisconsin, where we've essentially closed down everything, had huge economic impact. The, the data would suggest that we're, we were no better off. We would have been just as fine, again, opening up the state quicker. You would not have had the devastating impact to businesses, and you wouldn't have had it any worse. All right, let's start with Lamar in Orlando. Hi, Lamar. Hey, Jeff. Uh, thanks for my call. Sure. Um, I was on the screen. Now, obviously, looking back, hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? I don't. I, I agree with our governor in the beginning of following the science, right? But I think that the problem that we ran into long term is that as things began began to get partisan, it was a, it was more like an all or nothing thing mm-hmm. with a lot of a lot of governors, a lot of leaders. Yep. And I think here in Florida, one reason that we didn't have like the massive deaths with the elderly, like you said in New York, first of all, they're they're much uh, they're, the population density is much more higher. And a lot of the seniors here, they're dying, retired in their own homes, and a lot of them did not; they were not out and about. Uh, during most of COVID. In fact, there's still a lot of communities like the, uh, the uh, I can't think of the name of the, the retirement community. The, the, very village, large the villages? The villages. The villages, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, not, they're not as active even now, right. uh, months after the fact. They're still sure. pretty much limiting their movement. Um, and so I think that, um, as with government, I think we should have took a more surgical look at dealing with the lockdowns. I agree that we should have, we shouldn't allow the Walmarts of the world to be open and then tell them the mom and pop business you have to be shut down. I didn't agree with that. Uh, because that was devastating to the economy, obviously. But I think that every 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 area should have looked at, uh, you know, like you know, of New York population density versus here in Florida, and also being outside versus being stuck indoors too. Yeah, well, and and, see, and, I, and I agree, it's not an apples and oranges comparison. And you're correct that when it comes to population density, for example. Particular, let, let's take Los Angeles. So let's use weather comparison similarities. The population density in areas of California are greater than the population density in some areas of Florida. So, I mean, I, I understand it, it's not a perfect comparison, but I, I do think that it's fair to look at this stuff and to say, huh, maybe this idea that this knee-jerk reaction of we have to lock stuff down and we have to limit capacity, because and we're still doing that. I mean, we've still got all these different rules that are out there. Maybe that's not not necessarily the key and maybe as a starting point we should have done what some of us were saying from the beginning which is concentrated our resources on on again the most vulnerable and and let's kind of prioritize this stuff now look nobody wants to get covid but the reality is statistically speaking for if you're a younger person and and in good health and you get covid yet you're going to be sick for a little bit but chances are that you're going to have a complete recovery and, and you'll be fine and then you build up a degree of immunity 
in. Hopefully that takes you to the point where you're eligible to get the vaccine. 855-616-1620. But we have all this, let's lock down, let's lock down, let's lock down. And I'm not attributing bad motives for it. But I do think it's fair to kind of look up and say, all right, was this really the way to go? Did we handle this correctly or could we learn something? And maybe maybe we didn't need to destroy businesses, destroy huge chunks of the economy just because we were afraid of this. Maybe there was a way we could have done better. And this isn't saying, hey, you know, eliminate the mask rules or anything like that. It's just saying maybe we can allow businesses to be open. Let's talk to Ray in Illinois. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, yeah, I, I think you're I think you're right. And I remember you saying even from the beginning, you know, let's make sure we take care and protect those that are most vulnerable. I mean, I, I supported I mean, our governor kind of went the same direction that uh, Evers went up there, um, initially locked everything down, you know, stay at home orders, all that stuff. I supported that initially because I felt like let, we don't know exactly what we're dealing with. Let's get a handle on it. And I think. I think one of the, you know, where I do support, did support it at the beginning was the concern that, say, younger people might get it and then spread it to older people. Mm-hmm. That was something I did support. But I, I think one of the, the big faults I have with our whole COVID policy has been they knew there were going to be surges in the fall and stuff. Nobody planned for it. I mean, we should have had a plan in place to deal with that where we could have kept businesses open. but. Mm-hmm still protected uh, the most vulnerable. I do think it's time to start opening up. The numbers are, are down. It's getting nicer outside. And, yep. um, you know, don't get rid of the mask rules I, I, if that's you know the thing. And, and keep this in mind, Jeff, uh, as you've often said, just because you open up doesn't mean, say, 40,000 people are going to come back to Miller Park. Um, I don't think a lot of people are comfortable yet, and I respect that. Oh, sure. I, and I think, like, I mean, I've been saying all along, I think that there's going to be a certain percentage of people who are going to be wearing masks for, for if not mm-hmm. forever, for the foreseeable future. And they're just going to be doing it by, by choice because they don't mind it. And it just makes them feel more comfortable. And maybe it thinks it makes them less likely to get colds or flus or whatever. And I, I go with God yep. with all that. But, yeah, I just th- this idea that the only way we could deal with this was to lock down stuff, crater the economy and cause these problems. I think we need to be willing to revisit this and say, Maybe we didn't get this right. And no bad motives. Nobody knew exactly how to handle this. And, you know, I don't know if you saw it over the right. weekend. Now, now Dr. Fauci is out saying, well, you know, we were saying people need to be six feet apart. Now we only need to be three feet apart. You know, <laughs> Dr. Fauci doesn't know what he's saying. Well, he, he I, I mean, thanks for calling out. But, I mean, it's it just, it, it varies. I mean, I don't know if you saw that. Now it's like, okay, well, the CDC has decided, okay, three feet apart is fine. Well, Okay, well, if it, what happened to six feet? You know, I mean, I, I thought it was six feet. Now it's now it's three feet apart. Now I get it. They're, they're saying that because they they want people to feel comfortable opening schools, and a lot of schools struggle with the the six feet separation. Well, that that's fine, but I mean, let, let's follow the signs. What is it, and 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 why? Why was it that we suddenly decided that when did three feet be okay and and six feet wasn't okay? Were we guessing at six feet? That's, I think, one of the frustrating things that I I see about this. There's just a lot of, and I'm not attributing bad motives, but there's just a lot of guesswork. And then it it disappears. Uh, You know, a week ago, Dr. Fauci's on CNN, and they say, well, can you explain why, even if, 
people have received both doses of the vaccine and they've waited the days that you have to wait for it to be effective, seven, 10 days, whatever that is. Can you explain why fully vaccinated people shouldn't feel free to travel wherever they want? And all you get is this, this hemming and hawing and umming and owing. And, and, and again, it's just, it's this moving target that's out there. Well, no, I, I can't really explain it. We're just, you know, waiting for more guidance and just like, okay, when, when did the six feet magically become three feet? Are there studies on this? What, what's going on there? And before we look at draconian things, like let's close down the economy and let's put all sorts of people out of work and let's destroy businesses, maybe we should have thought through this a little bit more. And I'm not saying they handled it perfectly in Florida, but at the same time, the objectively, the, the numbers in Florida are not worse than the numbers, you know, anywhere else. And Florida's economy is booming. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, as long as we're talking about the effects of shutdowns and COVID, I, this is for people who've been keeping score. The, the, the final Jeopardy answer is $15 million plus. $15 million plus. The final Je- the Jeopardy question would be, how much did it cost to set up the alternative care facility at State Fair Park, you know, where they, they took the, what, the Tommy Thompson Center, whatever, and they, they turned that into a 530-bed facility for overflow COVID patients? And I, I think at its most, at the highest point, which was sometime in November, it had like 23 patients in a 530-bed facility. There hadn't been anybody in the facility. One person was there as of Christmas Eve. And in, in mid-February, they decommissioned it, but they haven't they, they haven't broken it down yet, according to at least the most recent information that, that I have. And, and they don't know if they're going to because they're worried that maybe you're going to get some other surge. We never got a surge that, that justified using it beyond, again, I think the maximum was 20. 23 or 24 people. Now, I'm not criticizing the decision to, to build it. Again, this is one of these deals where we didn't know what we didn't know. But maybe as we move forward, we can look at this. And I also understand better safe than sorry. But $15 million building a facility that I think by any objective standard could fairly be described as a huge white elephant. And maybe it raises again the question of, did we handle this situation correctly? Yes, you want the facility in case you need it. But did we really assess the likelihood of us ever needing it? And clearly, the answer is for people who thought we were going to need it, they were just flat out wrong at a cost of $15 million. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You knew this was not going to be good. Last spring, when longtime city attorney of the city of Milwaukee, Grant Langley, lost a bid for re-election. And I, I think, I don't know if it surprised some people or not. I think Grant maybe stayed too long. And sometimes you have to know when you, you step off the, the polit- when it's time to step off the political stage. And he decided at the last minute that he was going to, to run and he didn't mount a great campaign. But, but Langley ran a good, solid office, largely scandal-free. The new city attorney has been a complete and total disaster. His name is Tierman Spencer. And you wonder what is going on in the city attorney's office and how he is letting things do it. Now, the Journal Sentinel has a story, Dan Bice reporting on this. Okay, the, the city attorney 
they the, in the city attorney's office handles litigation involving the the city of Milwaukee. They give the common council advice. They review contracts. They prosecute uh, parking tickets and speeding tickets that are not criminal. You know, so that that's they they take care of stuff in municipal court. Well, here's the deal: there is a deputy city attorney whose name is Odala Ohiku. I think that's how you pronounce it. He he makes. $131,000 a year. All right. Now, I, you know, so he's well paid. I guess that's, that's the, the bottom line. So here's the deal. He was hired to come work for the city attorney's office when the new guy came on, wanted to bring him in. Okay, that, that's fine. But, but here's the deal. The guy is a criminal defense attorney. And when he joined the city attorney's office, he did not get rid of his cases. So he brought his criminal caseload apparently with him, and he's been trying cases. Now, keep in mind, here's a guy who makes, again, $131,000, who is the attorney for the city. Apparently, um, according to the Journal Sentinel, from Monday through Thursday last week, instead of representing the city, he was in a four-day jury trial in the Milwaukee County Courthouse doing his best to try to free a 52-year-old Atlanta man accused of repeatedly sexually assaulting a 10-year-old girl while they lived in South Milwaukee. So he's defending a a guy who's accused of of rape. You know, a four-day jury trial representing a private client instead of the city of Milwaukee. I I have no idea how, how you could do this. I mean, I... When, when I worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office, there were like really, really strict ethical guidelines. And you could go to your boss and you could get permission to do if, if you wanted to draw draft a will for like your, your for like a friend or something. You, you could ask him for that. You could ask for permission. Yeah, your spouse gets a speeding ticket and you want to go into municipal court and you want to like represent your spouse. You, you could on a case by case get permission to do that. But the idea of being a, a full time, highly paid federal prosecutor or government attorney or municipal city attorney and and moonlighting, you know, spending a week trying murder cases or sexual assault cases or whatever, it, it would just be un, unheard of. The guy was hired less than five months ago. I mean, here's what you would typically expect would happen. You decide you want to leave private practice to, to go to the city attorney's office and, and make 131 grand a year. That, that's fine. What you normally would do is you'd say, look, I, I, I need to wind my practice down and I've got to find other attorneys for my, my, my clients. So I, I have. And so I need 30 days or I need 60 days. But you don't bring a caseload like this to the city attorney's office and expect that you're going to be able to double dip and continue to represent them. Now, it's it's not just me. Apparently, the, the prosecutor, the guy's not answering questions. The city attorney isn't answering questions about this. Um, Milwaukee County Judge David Hancher, he retired a little while ago. He He's not shy. He says, you know, he's a member of the state, was a member of the state judicial commission for seven years, said he worked in the city attorney's office for five years, and that he would never have been let to double dip like this. He said, it's crazy that the guy is being allowed to draw a second salary to represent uh, clients in courts while being paid to be a deputy city attorney. 
quote, this is Hancher, what's going on with him in the courts is bizarre, to say the least, if not unethical. It's incomprehensible. And again, the city employee, the city handbook, says that you, know, you can do outside work with permission of a supervisor, but that involves you know, drafting a, a will for, uh, again, a friend or something. Um, the agency's website says city lawyers are prohibited from providing legal advice to the public or to the parties other than the municipal corporation of the city of Milwaukee. And apparently a number of judges have been talking about this, uh, very, very concerned about, you know, the, the ethics of this whole argument that you're going to allow somebody who's, uh, again, a city attorney to be representing criminals. The, the I don't know about the ethics. It, it's To me, it stinks to high heaven. But it certainly demonstrates, again, how out of control the city of Milwaukee is. And in this case, it's another example of how out of control the city attorney's office is. Because like I say, the only appropriate way to do it is when the city attorney wants to bring this guy on, you think he's a great addition that that's fine but you say okay here here's the deal in exchange for coming to work for the city attorney's office you you've got to get rid of your cases you you take 30 days take 60 days to wind them down but you have to i I can't just bring you on and allow you to be trying rape cases or, or things like that we don't know whether the guy took vacation my guess is now that this has gotten public he, he's certainly going to make sure he's taking vacation for it but it, it strikes me as being of questionable ethics somebody else ultimately makes that decision but just just flat out wrong and yet this is apparently going on and the city attorney well it's like kind of like hear no evil see no evil what's going to happen to me it's another one of these examples again of look elections have consequences it was a bad decision by the voters of the city of milwaukee to dump grant langley in the last election and um, the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee are once again paying for that bad decision. Okay, when we come back, I want to tell you about what a couple states are doing with regard to road taxes. Would it work here? We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Should we move away from a gas tax and start taxing people based on the miles they drive? Now, right now in Wisconsin, in order to support the cost of the roads, what happens is whenever you stop and fill up at the pump, you pay a gasoline tax uh, out of every Actually, I filled up yesterday. What was it? Two dollars, and I found a station it was two fifty-five a gallon. Of that two fifty-five a gallon. Almost 19 cents was the federal gas tax, and the state gas tax was, what, 38 cents or, or whatever it is, what, whatever it is, it is currently. So th- that's all tax, and that's all well and good, and that's how you pay. The gas tax goes, and together with the registration fees that you pay every year to register your car, that's where the money goes in to repair the roads and to build new roads. That, that's where the money comes from. Okay, so here's the problem. What do you do with these with electric cars? Now, right now, electric cars are only about 2% of all the new vehicles that are sold. But we, we're all hearing these goals that by, you know, 2035, uh, what GM says, they're not going to be making electric cars. And I don't, I don't believe that's going to be the case. But, but that's what the idea is. They're moving towards these electric vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. Well, okay, well, problem now comes in. What do you do with these electric vehicles that don't run on gas? Or 
you have the hybrid cars, which to me I think is more likely to be a thing of the future, where you get cars that get 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 miles a gallon because they, they run on electricity, they've got the batteries, and they've got the gasoline-powered engines. So what happens when people are driving as much, if not more, but they're not using as much gasoline. Now, I bring this up because there are two states right now, starting off in in Oregon. Oregon's the the principal example of this, where um, Oregon and also um, Washington, what they're doing is they are looking at not charging a gasoline tax, But at least right now for electric vehicles, what they're looking at doing is they're taxing you based on the mileage driven. So what they will do is they will require you at the time of registration every year, you've got to come in. And they look at the odometer and they see how many miles you drove in the last year. And then you pay a tax based on, on the mileage to make sure that you are paying your fair share. And what they're doing in Oregon is they're looking at just say, okay, maybe... Is this the way to just do it in general? Let's do away with, now, of course, people are reluctant to do that because once you get a tax in place, it never goes away. But the idea being, hey, it's fairer to simply tax people on the miles that they drive. And therefore, you know, if you have somebody that drives a lot, you know, they they would pay a lot. If, on the other hand, you have somebody who rarely uses their car, well, they would pay less. But it would be an accurate, or at least the argument is, it would be an accurate way of trying to figure out who's really using the roadway. So let's tee this up. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What about the idea of taxing drivers by the mile, the mile driven, instead of an indirect form like the gas tax? 855-616-1620. I just don't see how this is practical. And I, I think it's a real issue moving forward as more and more people get into electric vehicles and and don't depend on gas. They're, they're not going to be contributing as much. You can, I guess, impose, you can increase the registration fee on electric vehicles, but I'm not sure it's going to make up what you lose in gas tax. I, I understand this in theory. I just don't think it is practical. I mean, my goodness, we have enough trouble getting people to register their cars now. Can you imagine if every time you had to go in, you had to go in once a year and register the vehicle and then pay a tax on it? My guess is you'd have a huge chunk of the population which would simply decide that they weren't going to register the cars. 855-616-1620. Would it work? My answer is I doubt it. What do you think? 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That This idea of taxing people based on the mileage they drive. I understand, in theory, this works. I just don't see it working on a practical level. Let's start with Darren in Waterford. Darren, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good morning. Hi, Darren. Um, I drive for a living. Hi, I drive for a living. I'm a regional sales manager for a manufacturer of pumps and valves in Pewaukee. And I cover 23 states. And particularly with COVID now, I drive to these states all the time. How would you keep track of miles driven in other states, which represents a good 80% of the mileage I drive? Right, because what your, your point is, hey, I show up every year to look at the odometer, and what's happening is the odometer shows I drove driven 25,000 miles, but 20,000 of those miles were driven outside of Wisconsin. You don't think it's fair that you should have to pay a tax on that 20,000 miles that you drove outside of Wisconsin? I really don't. I pay tolls uh, extensively, uh, you know, in Ohio and Illinois and Indiana to cover those 
expenses yep. for their uh, roads and everything else. But how and gosh, I, yep. I find a hard way to figure out how you're going to calculate that for uh, OTR on the road drivers or even anything else. Right. Well, oh, that's uh, a big number to try. Oh no, it it is no, Darren. Thank right. That that's a problem with this. And 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 you're talking about the business thing. But what about, for example, I have a text here, Jeff. I have a place in Scottsdale. That's a big tax penalty to drive that far for non-business purposes. If it's implemented, it looks like I'll have to find a guy to fix my odometer once a year. And I, I'm pretty sure he's pretty sure he's being funny about that. But yeah, that's that that's the problem about how do you it, how do you work this out. And again, how do you get people to comply? Like I say, my my guess is in the city of Milwaukee, don't politifact me on it, it's just a guess. My guess is that one out of 10 cars right now probably isn't registered. I mean, it's or isn't registered to the rightful owner or whatever. If you start expecting people to pay for you know the the amount of money they've driven that's going to be an issue the other issue is a practical issue as well now think about it like this at least with the gas tax you you have a way of collecting it because what happens is once you when you fill up the tank okay you're you're paying for it so what what is it 39 let's say that 60 cents a gallon ballpark you know ballpark is going to taxes well you're paying that at the point of purchase so you know the government is going to be collecting that so because that's that's it you know you put your credit card in or you go give the guy 10 bucks that that money is being set aside you know the government is getting it if you are going to depend on people to have to say write a check once a year you know good good luck with that what about the people who can't afford it. I mean, what it, it could be just like the situation, except a lot worse, that you see right now with utility companies, where you have the people that haven't paid their utility bill for the last year and a half, and probably aren't going to, once they get that huge bill, there's no way that they can do it. At least the way you have it now, you, you're able to collect. So fair enough. You might say to me, okay, Jeff, I, I agree with you. As a practical thing, I support the idea. It, it makes sense in a way of, of like a usage tax, but I agree that that that's not a workable thing but it's a real problem what do you do as we move to these more electric cars who don't don't use the traditional gasoline which means the traditional gas taxes aren't 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 a way of doing it how how do you do this and I, i think the answer is what they do to an extent in wisconsin but they're going to have to do more of and that is that you jack up the fees for registering the electric car substantially because you have to recognize that, hey, that electric car, and it, it's going to be difficult to figure out what the appropriate fee is, but you're going to have to say, okay, on average, the typical car in Wisconsin drives X thousand of miles, and so you know we're going to have to figure out a way to make the registration fees similar to what that would be. Now, there's going to be a lot of give and take with that, but that to me is the way you do it. And again, I appreciate that that's not an easy thing because you're going to, again, still have people who might decide that they're not going to register the car in an effort not to pay it. But I I don't think you can, as appealing as the argument is on the surface, let's just make people pay by the mile. I just think that there are so many practical realities to stopping it from becoming effective that it's just kind of a fool's errand to go down that route. The better way is to, 
Uh, again, make the registration fees for the electric cars a lot higher to make up for the lost gasoline tax. And that's going to cause some people some heartburn. But on the other hand, if you can afford a, a Tesla for 80000 or $90,000, you can probably afford to pay 500 bucks to register your car every year. I'm oversimplifying it, but that's the issue that's out there. But this is an ongoing problem, and we're going to have to address it sooner rather than later. And it's one of those unintended consequences when we hear everybody saying, let's go electric, let's go electric, let's go electric. Right now, the electric cars are such a, a small overall percentage of the automobile market on the street that it's it's not that big a deal and you can deal with it by 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 you know fiddling around on the edges but if if these pushes come true and if in the next 10 years you suddenly have electric cars i don't know being 25 percent of the vehicles on on the roadway in the next 10 years and i don't know if that's likely to happen either but if it does you you are going to have a problem with where you're going to be able to get all the revenue and things like that and you're going to have to figure out a way to do it i just think paying by the mile is probably not a practical way to go about it and i certainly don't think that we're at a point right now where you want to take the people who are driving the gasoline-powered, the internal combustion engines, and, and try to switch them over to that because I think you're going to see the revenue that you generate for the roads and stuff absolutely, completely, totally crater. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Don't you go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Now, Mike Spaulding, I, I confess that I, I, I pay rapt attention to your newscast, but every once in a while, my, I, I sort of wander. And we, in our, in our studio here, we have all sorts of electronics. I always get around. People look at this big board in front of me, and they say, wow. And I say, well, the truth is I'm only allowed to push four buttons. And <laughs> in, in a case of an emergency, there's a fifth one I can push. But, it push, but I, I, I have no idea what half these, these buttons do. But I, I know how to do the four. And I've got my computer screen. It's got our, you know, all the different things mm-hmm. on it. And we've got our call screen and that. And so we have... Um, um, to my right, as I sit in the studio, there are there are five TV screens. There, there's four up that have different, you know, various feeds on them, including a traffic camera. And then we have a TV monitor that is always tuned to Channel Four, mm-hmm. WTMJ. And during your your newscast, I, I just happened to glance over, and from one to two days of our lives airs on on Channel Four. And every once in a while, you look at this stuff and you go. What the blank is going on? Because I, I was watching, and there appears to be, there are two women um, who are, are sitting in, in, like, this room, and there's a metal door in the background, and one of the women appears to be tied to a chair, and the other woman, I assume, is the bad guy who's tied the other woman to the chair. She's in this this. This outfit it has this plunging neckline, you know. It's it's, it's just I, I'm like, huh, okay, you know, and, and it's just like plunging neckline. But but she's clearly got like the evil look about her, and I'm just I, I watched it for about a minute and a half, going, I wonder what the heck is going on here. How you know, what, what exactly is that conversation that those two people are having, and why is that woman tied up? She's probably asking her how she operates in the plunging neckline, <laughs> doing all the things that she's doing. Uh, but I don't know. I also will admit that sometimes it catches my eye as I can kind of see at yeah. the corner of it, and I'll get 
like yeah. temporarily distracted. I was also wondering the same thing. Yeah, it's kind of like what 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 is <laughs> what exactly is is going on here? It's it's like when I, I think they only have like three sets and two of them are bedrooms because there's always scenes where you you've got various various couples that are always together in various states of, of undress and you're kind of like huh that, that's there, there's a lot of stuff going on in those bedrooms but this was particularly interesting to me because i'm thinking the, the one has obviously tied the other one up and the other one is at the one who's tied up is asking to be released and i, <laughs> I just i don't know do you watch soaps like have you ever been interested okay um when i was in law school long time ago and this is this is they had the only study room. Now, this is, of course, changed, but I'm dating myself. You could go into the basement of Marquette Law School, and they had a handful of vending machines and this little study area, and they had a TV up there, and everybody would have the soap operas on. And a lot of the people, and I don't, don't send me gender notes, this is just the fact. A lot of the women, my female classmates, including the woman who became my wife, they, they loved to watch General Hospital. This, this was back in the, this was in the 80s, so this was back in the day of, um, we're just looking at the next yeah, scene, yeah. and we don't understand what that guy's doing, too. <laughs> Why is the guy in the short shorts pulling on his pants? I, who knows? Um, but it, we would watch. they would watch. This was when he had soaps all day on, and the one that got watched a lot was General Hospital. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got into it just because it was on with – this was with Luke and Laura and the big weddings and stuff like that. But, so, so let me ask, if I was interested now, wanting to know what the women were saying, if I went back and started watching this week, could I – could I get into Days of Our Lives, or do I need to have like watched since you know? Oh, I think you can pick it up pretty quickly. You think quickly. so? Okay. I, okay. I think you could. I think you could pick it up quickly. <laughs> but the <laughs> we're, we're we're laughing because right now there's some some woman who's there, there's two guys that are together this time and and again a state states of undress and they're. We don't exactly know what's going on on this one, but I will tell you this: people are passionate about this. You were not yeah. here on on nine eleven, all right? So nine eleven, the planes fly into the building and stuff. We're in wall to wall coverage, mm-hmm. all right? The switchboard is getting swamped at one o'clock with with calls from people. It, it might have been on at twelve then. I forget exactly. But whenever Days of Our Lives was supposed to air, it's nine eleven. You know, three yeah. hours after this happens, we are getting flooded with calls from people complaining about where their stories are. Where where's my story? <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like I, the, the worst job to have in this building is, is seriously to be the, the person that answers one of those wonderful people that answers the mm-hmm. switchboard for us when they preempt Days of Our Lives because people get angry that they don't get to my grandmother always used to say i want to watch my stories that's where that comes from i want to watch my want to watch my stories okay well that's your mission find out go, go back in between uh, yeah, those i'll guys. do some research right, for you right, yeah find out find out why the woman <laughs> in the plunging neckline had had tied up the other woman i'm i'm now i'm now curious all right um actually i want to talk to you i want to lead off topic of this hour actually comes from the world of entertainment the oscar nominations came out th- this morning uh, the best picture, let me see. For example, I've got the, the best picture nominations in front of me. Uh, eight films nominated for best picture. Mank, which is the uh, story of, it's in black and white. It's the story of the writing of Citizen Kane. Promising Young Women, have no idea what that is. Nomadland, which is um, 
it, it's it stars the gal from the woman from Fargo, Francis uh, McDormand, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which I saw on Netflix. That's a great movie. Sound of Metal. Don't know what that is. Minari. Don't know what that is. The Father. Um, that's with Anthony Hopkins, I think. And the Trial of the Chicago Seven, which is written by um, Aaron Sorkin, the West Wing guy. I watched it. Thought it was a complete and total waste of time. But so you, you've got you've got eight films that are nominated there, and you know various people who are you know up for the various awards and things like that. It was interesting because there was a point in time in my life where I was really kind of interested in in the Oscars. Okay, who you know, what are the pictures that are going to get nominated? And, gee, I, I want to run out and I want to see as many of these pictures. Cause I'm a movie buff. I want to see as many of these pictures as I can possibly see. Somewhere along the line, for me, awards shows in general, I know the Grammys was, was yesterday. Did, I completely missed that. But award shows in general, whether it's the Oscars or the Emmys or the Tonys, all those different award shows, it completely and totally jumped the shark. And I guess I, it's, it's funny because I have, I have no interest in, in, in any of this. Like I said, I've seen a couple of these movies only because they're on streaming services that I have and I, I've watched them. But which movie somebody in the motion picture academy thinks of is the best picture? No interest for me. And as far as, gee, th- this, os- this movie is nominated for, you know, best picture. Do I feel a desire to go out and, and watch it? And the answer is, is no. It's just, it's just not on my radar screen anymore. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just just one segment. But to me, there, there was a point in time where the Oscars used to be, you know, a, a big deal. And I can even remember going to parties that friends would have where you, you'd go and you'd get together and you'd kind of watch the Oscars and you'd cheer for these different, you know, performances and things like that. Somewhere along the line, I completely lost interest in this and I, I haven't gotten it back. So when I saw the story saying they've announced all the Oscar nominees, I didn't even know it was coming out today. And now that I've seen it, I go, oh, oh okay, that that's interesting. And I guess I'll, I'll you know, after they have them, you'll, you'll see what the best pictures are. But it, it doesn't, it's not driving, it's not moving the needle to me to make me want to go out and see these movies. All right, 855-616-1620. Are you dialed into the Oscars? Why or why not? We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line group, producing the show today and always. You, you're looking at this woman on days of our lives. I, when I describe that thing as a plunging neckline, there, there has got to be there's got to be like two way tape or something holding that thing up because it's it's like holy buckets, <laughs> you know. But I, I just. I'm still curious as to why she has the other woman tied up. 855-616-1620. Oscar nominations came out this morning. I'm kind of, eh, you know. All right. To me, the Oscars have jumped the shark. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Um, part of the reason it's political, but I mainly don't watch the Oscars anymore just because I, there's been so many movies now that have either won or been nominated that I thought have just been awful. And and the best example is um, The Shape of Water, which actually did win one. Right. Right. Well, you know, ever since they expi- – it used to be like five movies for Best Picture. Now they can have up to ten. And they, they did, Now, this year it's like eight, and it's kind of like I, – I think it was better when they concentrated on just a couple instead of being expansive and, devi- and diverse, you know, diversity-based or whatever. Just pick the ones that you think are the best. Yeah, I liked it when it was a lot more focused like that. It seems like they're reaching more and more yeah. nowadays. 
Yeah, no, th- thanks for calling. Again, it's and, and I mean, I, again, I, the only reason I've seen a handful of these is because they were streaming. And I will say, of the ones I've seen, Judas and the Black Messiah, which is about uh, Chicago uh, Black Panther leader Fred Hampton and his murder in Chicago. That was a, it. Was a very good movie. I I thought it was really good. I liked Mank a little bit slow, but I liked that stuff. Trial of the Chicago Seven, I thought was awful. This was like Abby Hoffman and stuff, and it was it. it it's it's written by Aaron Sorkin, the West Wing guy, but it's 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 absurd. I mean, it it paints the trial of the Chicago Seven, and it paints the the judge Julius Rosenberg as this. Uh, it, 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 it takes incredible liberties with the way the trial actually proceeded to the point that if you have any knowledge about the law or what happened, you're kind of like rolling your eyes. And it, it, so I, I didn't like that one at all. I, I just couldn't get past that that uh, factor. Let's talk to um, Victor in Pewaukee. Victor, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Uh, great topic. So <laughs> I've, I've felt this way for 25 years that the Oscars are just culturally irrelevant. I've never understood who is this academy. Uh, they never even told us who they are, and why do I care that you know they have the opinion of record that we should all follow? Right. It's right. never made sense to me. Well, and, right. and the other thing I really hate is that they're, they're so biased towards dramas. Dramas win everything, even the like sound editing and film editing, which <laughs> right. doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I don't. So you're not going to be having an Oscar party this year. No, I mean, I'll follow who wins. Like, this will be like a, let me look into this movie to see if it's it's worth watching, but I don't really care who the Academy is going to bless as the winner. Yeah, no, thanks. I think more and more people are, more and more people like that. Uh, Let's see, Taylor writes, Promising Young Women was an excellent movie and the only one that I've seen in the theater in the last year and a half. I am having an Oscar party. We always have fun and do trivia. One of the reasons that some people might not watch award shows anymore is because... They are very political nonstop, particularly ripping on Republicans. Um, at our parties, we have a no politics discussion rule at any of my parties. Well, I, I think that that's there. There is that element to it where you have, you know, I mean, the, the Hollywood left that kind of gets together and feels that they are superior to, you know, people on the right, and so it's this just let, let let's bash on conservatives. And I think, you know, by doing that, you alienate half the country from that point. So I do think I think the politics is one of the things. Jeff, no one cares about what happens in the entertainment industry. Just look at how the viewership of award shows continue to go downward year after year. Well, there is an element of that as well, that people, it just doesn't make any difference. Somebody was saying, uh, Jeff, you didn't miss anything not seeing the Grammys. I watched the Grammys show last night. It was a disgrace. Almost naked ladies dancing and grinding like a gentleman's club. <laughs> well, I did, again, I, I guess I knew in the back of my mind that the Grammys were on, but uh, kind of missed it. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Outdoor Living Unlimited. They're located in Waukesha at 665 Larry Court, where you can find them online at OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com. That's Outdoor Living Unlimited, taking your outdoors to a higher level. Whenever I say anything that is critical in the least bit of Joe Biden, I inevitably hear from a handful of people going, how dare you say anything about Joe Biden? How dare you criticize the fact that he hasn't had a news conference since he 
took over. I mean, how, how don't you understand that he's he's just he's doing his best, working every minute for the American people, trying to dig out of the mess that Donald Trump created. So I, I understand that there there are people sensitive that don't think you can say anything negative about Joe Biden, and and if you're one of those people, well. Maybe you want to come back to the show in about 15 minutes or so. You know, uh, Melissa was just doing one of these stories from the border. I don't believe here in Milwaukee that we realize what a mess it is. But the national media is starting to pick this up. They recognize that as bad as things were, you know, during the Trump administration, it's now these problems on steroids. And I think it is clearly at the footsteps of Joe Biden, and I think he needs to start immediately going back to some Trump-era policies because it's not getting better. If you haven't heard, on Saturday, the White House sent FEMA, that's the Federal Emergency Management Agency, to the border. Um, now, FEMA addresses unpredictable catastrophes, like hurricanes. Hey, you've had a tornado, send in FEMA. You've had a hurricane, send in FEMA. Um, Apparently, this man-made crisis is so bad at the border that they now have to have uh, FEMA coming there. U.S. Customs um, Service reported almost 400,000 encounters on the border for the start going back to last October. That's 25% more. The number of unaccompanied children are arriving in droves. And this is it. You've got families who are just sending kids across the border by themselves. Um, 9,500 encounters in February, a 61% increase over January. The Washington Post reports that more than 8,500 migrant children are in facilities run by the Department of Health and Human Services, and another 3,500, the highest figure ever, are stuck at CPB, which is the the Border Patrol um, stations, waiting for a spot to open up in the shelters. The wait times for children stuck at these facilities now often exceeds the 72-hour legal limit. And the Washington Post says children unaccompanied are waiting in cramped and austere holding cells with concrete floors and benches where lights remain on 24 hours a day. Now, remember, in in 2019, the median Democrats called those conditions a moral catastrophe. Now, well, it's it's just kind of an inconvenience that's out there. But what's going on is, I believe, a direct result of the Biden policies. Um, under the Trump administration, all right, if you wanted to come in, for example, and ask for asylum, you had to wait for Mexico to adjudge your, your cases. You couldn't just come in here. The Biden administration ended this, and so you have people pouring in asking for asylum. And the way it's working is once you ask for asylum, boom, you're in the country. And it might take years and years to get your asylum hearing held. In most cases, it's going to be denied, but it doesn't matter, matter because you get, you get released. Once you've asked for asylum, you, you get released, and so you know maybe they'll track you down in four or five years, but by that time, you've already been into the country. Brownsville estimates that 6% of the people who are coming across the border who have subsequently been released, just bust the cities and stuff, have COVID, 6%. And and so, you know, they're they're in close quarters. So if they've got COVID, that means all the people that are going to be around have COVID. Plus, it means the people that they're going to come into contact with have COVID. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage uh, Talk and Text Line. This, 
you know, if if the Trump situation in 2019 was a humanitarian crisis, this is a humanitarian crisis on steroids. It was completely and totally predictable. And it's going to get even worse because keep in mind what Biden wants to do is he wants to offer a pathway to citizenship for people who are in this country illegally. So what that's done is it started a, a gold rush because you have all these people that are now in, in you know, South America or Mexico or wherever who want to be in this country if if. You know, we we changed the laws to allow people who are here illegally to stay. So this is like, hey, this is the golden ticket. Get in the country now, and, you know, if the laws change, you you can be one of those that applies to get citizenship or legal residency or whatever. Plus, you're not sending people back. So that's encouraged people as well. If you've got a problem, that this, again, has done nothing but make it worse. And it's one of the reasons why I think until you get the border stabilized, you can never talk about legal immigration because right now people are trying to get into this country just as quick as they can because, number one, they know that Biden won't order them sent back. And number two, they figure if they're here, now they've got a chance to be able to stay permanently. 855-616-1620. All right, can we let this go on? Can we let this go on? And my answer would be no. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, before we go to phone calls, let's take a couple of the texts. Jeff, we can't let it go on, but the Democrats won't stop it because for every person they let in, they believe it might be a vote for Democrats down the road. Well, I, I look. I don't want to necessarily be that cynical, but I do think it is clear that the rush through the border right now. It's it's two things that are driving it. First of all, it is the change in administration and the recognition that Joe Biden isn't going to send people back, unlike what Donald Trump would do. Secondly, as I was saying a couple minutes ago, there is an urgency. I think if if you're if you're somebody who wants to come into this country illegally and you know that there might be a window that is opening up sometime soon for people who are in the country illegally to figure out ways they can stay permanently, that this is that's your incentive. That this is the time. Why why wait, you know, six months? Why wait a year when maybe as a condition of trying to get immigration reform, you, you have to that, that we have to get serious about closing the border. No, right now that the borders are essentially open. People are pouring through and they're taking advantage of it and that's all on biden um jeff it would be nice to know what the immigration end game is for the democrats is this for more votes is it for humanitarian reasons how does this benefit the country a successful and safe nation must have an organized and secure border where is the red line yeah that's that's it now i understand that there are some people out there um that that again sort of view this as uh, it, it's the, they call it the entry for everyone left and it, it's it's a part of the, the far left wing but believe that hey we shouldn't have borders that anybody who wants to come over here looking for a better life should be admitted and that if we think that you know we, we can't we can't handle 
uh, you know, a hundred thousand, hundred thousand, or or a million people just pouring, you know, through the southern border. For anybody who thinks that, well, okay, we're, we're just you're, you're just you know Neanderthals who who don't recognize that this country has an obligation to take care of people. Well, the problem is if we can't, if we don't have the resources to take care of everybody in this country, how can you just let? thousands and thousands or hundreds of thousands of poor people stream over the border who are going to be needing social services. And it's easy for us here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where illegal immigration is, I'm not saying it's not a factor, but it's more like something that you, you talk about in theory, as opposed to people who live in Brownsville, Texas, or, you know, um, on the border in Arizona, where, you know, on a daily basis, you're seeing a ton of people pouring into this country and then suddenly, you know, expecting to be taken care of and things of the like. Jeff, I think that we should send everybody to the White House or maybe Delaware. You relocate outside the Biden neighborhood in Delaware. Jeff, I would go to um, help at the border. But guess what? Gas is suddenly now too expensive. Jeff, congratulations on having enough guts to talk about Biden. Um, The people who support him don't talk, say a word about what he's doing. Um, and, and again, I'm, I think that there's some things that, you know, Joe Biden deserves some credit for, just like I think there's things that Donald Trump deserves credit for. But this, what's going on at the border right now, and I don't think Trump handled the border properly. I, I just, I don't. I think when we, we obsessed about the wall and things like that, this physical wall, I, I think it detracted from the larger conversation that we needed to have. And I will tell you, I think one of the big failures in 2017, when Republicans controlled the Senate, when Republicans controlled the House, and when Donald Trump was the president, our failure to get meaningful immigration reform done at that time is something that's a huge disappointment and continues to haunt us now. But I go back and I I say firmly, you can't get meaningful immigration reform as long as you have thousands of people pouring through the the borders on a daily basis, a percentage of whom are sick, and the kids. I mean, look, and the families get it. They know exactly what's going on. You you send your kids across the border, and you know that the government's not going to send those kids back, and you're going to find somebody to have to take care of them. That's just incentive for saying, okay, this is the opportunity here. We're, we're going to send you across the border. And, and, and who who does that? Somebody just texted me and made the point that if you if you put your – if you put your children on a Greyhound bus and sent them unattended to Austin, Texas, you'd probably be looked at and considered for charges of child neglect. But yet, you know, here there, there's no consequence for bundling up the kids and sending them across the border unaccompanied. It's it's a humanitarian crisis, but it's a crisis of the Biden administration's making. And the fact that you have to have FEMA down there tells you how bad it is. Like I say, FEMA FEMA deals with hurricanes. FEMA deals with tornadoes. FEMA deals with, you know, all the the natural sort of disasters. And now, you know, we we have a a natural disaster caused by political policies that are complete and total failure. And and people need to wake up. And I look, I, I understand what the answer is. The answer is simple. The answer is close down the border. The answer is go back to doing the things that, that Trump did. Say, hey, we're not going to just let people come pouring in and then let them just disperse across the country. That's what the answer is. But it's not going to happen, I guess, because, number one, Biden recognizes that, that would upset 
people on the just let them in left, and he needs part of that constituency to, to move forward. Number two, regardless of what the consequences are, and number two, it would require the Biden administration to say, you know what, maybe in this particular area, Trump got it right, and Biden's not going to do that. Speaking of things that have not gotten better since Joe Biden took over, and I, I don't I don't blame this on Biden. I, I blame it on, on state officials who have allowed this to get out of control. If, if you haven't been following this, Portland is still an absolute and, and total mess. Now, at the end of last week, I just mentioned about how you, you have the, these protesters that descended on downtown Portland and broke all these windows again. Th- this has been going on for probably the better part of, of a year. And initially it was, hey, we're, we're protesting because Donald Trump has, has sent, we've got social justice issues, and Donald Trump has sent um, federal officers in to protect the federal building. Imagine that. And we don't like the federal troops there. So you pull out the federal troops. And as I predicted correctly at the time, if you thought that was going to slow down these protesters, uh, no. And, and they're just back on a nightly basis. Non-scalable fencing has been reinstalled at the federal court house um, on Sunday after rioters vandalized the buildings over the the weekend again. So you've got the rioters who are back in Portland and and nobody, see, nobody knows what they're protesting because everybody's protesting something different. Uh, Last week, the destruction was you've got some people that are upset because there's going to be a pipeline from Wisconsin to Canada, and some people didn't like that. You know, other people just don't like other things. They're protesting about this or that or the other thing. But you've got rioters that are just down there essentially rioting for the sake of rioting. And I know some people thought, well, once Joe Biden gets elected, it's going to be all seashells and balloons and sunshine and roses and everything's going to be fine and people are going to be happy. And the truth is, no, because you have to understand that you have some anarchists that are out there. And I think it's still a small number, but you have some anarchists out there who it just doesn't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's the, whether it's a new boss or the old boss, the, the reaction is just the same. And at what they're doing is they're there to, again, create trouble. Some people are protesting the start of the Derek Chauvin trial in Minnesota. Okay, now this is Portland, Oregon. They're picking a jury. It, it, what, what are you protesting? There, there's not, it's not like there's a verdict that you're outraged. Like I say, some people are protesting plans to expand an oil pipeline between Superior, Wisconsin, and uh, Alberta, Canada. But it, it's one thing after another, and people are breaking windows, and they're being allowed to get away with it. Now, here's the only thing I know about this, that you, you just – it's sort of like car thefts in the city of Milwaukee. Right, not doing anything is not an answer. When you let people come back night after night after night and wear their ski masks and hide their faces and break windows and set stuff on fire and you don't arrest them and you don't prosecute them and you don't put them in jail, all you do is embolden them and other people. So I just, for the life of me, do not understand why the good people of Portland are putting up with this, but I, I think people all over need to realize that there's some people that are out there that protest for the sake of protest, and if you don't keep them on a short leash, all you're going to do is encourage them. Okay, when we come back, we've got a lot of stuff for the 2 o'clock hour. Airlines, daylight saving time, prom, 
and the end of welfare. We discuss it all. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So what do you have going on in there, Gru? We, we missed that particular thing. Were you watching that show? I was talking about Days of Our Lives with the woman who had the, the outfit on that had the plunging neckline. Yeah, so many uh, shirtless grown men, I just couldn't avert my eyes. <laughs> that was, <laughs> I, I, whatever, I, I'm just, I'm not being judgmental. I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, yes, we, we are back. Okay, I, I mentioned at the, the start of the show, when, when Eric Bilstadt was doing the news, that the reason we're, we've got crummy weather coming, you don't, don't blame the weather people, blame, blame my, my lovely and charming wife, because she's getting on an airplane tomorrow morning. And it seems like all during this winter, whenever... There has been like like bad weather. It's typically been when she is either traveling, when she's either flying somewhere or flying back from somewhere, and I take her to the airport or go with her myself or or, or pick her up. It seems it seems like it's just our, our travel days have been the ones associated with snow. Now it doesn't sound like this is going to be you know, like too big of a deal, except she's on a six thirty a.m. flight tomorrow, which means you know we're down at the airport. I'm taking her down there at five o'clock in the morning, and I suspect it'll be another one of these things where, depending on when the snow hits and how bad it is, again you'll you'll have some delays on the roadways and things like that. But the bottom line is um, we're, we're, we're going to travel. And the truth of the matter is I have taken several flights since November. I, I don't think I'm trying to re- recall. I mean, once the pandemic hit, I don't think I was I, I, we had flown. We were in Florida in February and then October, I guess. I think, you know, we went down there in October and, and you know, we, we've been on a handful of airline trips since then. In the beginning, the airlines were flying with the, the middle seat empty. That was the first couple flights I was on. Since then, it's it's been it's like the it's like the old days. I mean, it's just full flights. And because of the fact that air travel has uh, cut down that because the airlines have cut back, there's not as many planes flying. What you have is you're pretty much guaranteed to be on a, on a full flight. I mean, the last couple of flights I've been on, they they just like if you fly south west where you get to pick your own seat they make it really clear from the beginning this is a completely full flight so if you're in one of those last boarding groups and you think you're going to come and find the three seats together it ain't going to happen so just grab whatever middle seat you can find put your bag up there and sit down because that's going to be what the nature of it is Um, I, i have been struck going through mitchell field and it's not a surprise but mitchell field well, I think it's getting better. It, it's still kind of a bit of, of a ghost town. Um, last January, before the pandemic, 490 through 92,000 passengers. So let's round up, about 500,000 January of 2020. January of 2021, 180,000 passengers, which is a lot more than they had, say, in you know August or September, but it's still you know not not even half of what they had the previous January. People are starting to get back and they're starting to feel comfortable flying, but they're not back all the way. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know. I'm not reluctant to get on airplanes, and I, w- I will tell you um, all the flights that I have been on. Again, it's been a, it's been a handful since since I started flying again in the fall. I have felt perfectly comfortable. Now, I, there's there's inconveniences. I mean, you've got to 
the federal rules require you to wear the masks in the airport. You have to wear your mask all the time when you're on the plane, except if you're actively eating or drinking, but they really don't serve anything anymore. In Southwest, they bring around glasses of water, and they walk up and down the aisle, and they've got like pretzels or something that they give out. But it's not like they're, they're serving all sorts of food. You can bring food on, but you know they, are, they do require people to wear masks pretty much the entire time you're on the flight. So if you don't like wearing masks, and especially if it's a longer flight, it can be a bit of a pain. But at the same time, it's not its not something that I, I think is discouraging me from being willing to travel. So, like I say, my wife is, is hopping on a jet tomorrow. Um, I'm going to go meet her in about a week and a half. Um, I've got a week of vacation coming up right before Easter. And, and so I, you got to fly to get there because... It, to, to drive where we're going would take like two, two and a half days. Don't have that. If I've only got like four or five days, I, I want to get there. So I don't have a hesitation with flying. I, I am noticing that more and more people are coming back. The airports start seem to get a little more crowded, and especially when I've been in airports in some of the warm weather places. I don't want to say it's like it was maybe two years ago, but it is definitely coming back. So are you ready to resume flying? 855-616-1620. And if not, when do you think you may, might be ready to resume flying? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, like I say, I, I, I did it. I admit the first time I jumped on a jet in November or October, whenever that was, little leery about what the experience would be. But now that I've done it once or twice, no hesitation getting on a plane at all for me. My concern with traveling last year was, gee, if I go to fly somewhere, is there going to be anything to do? Is everything going to be closed down? That, I think, is still an issue depending on where you might go. But if you're going to a place where most of the stuff is open and you're doing stuff outdoors, I would have no hesitation. I do have no hesitation going. How about you? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a text from Kevin. Jeff, for me, it's not the fear of safely flying, but I want my destination to be wide open without restrictions. If I want to go to Vegas, I want the full Vegas experience. Yeah, now, I think that that's a... That, that's a fair commentary in general. I think that that's one of the reasons why a, a lot of people made the decision not to travel um, last fall, perhaps, because we had a lot of these communities that were just complete and total lockdown. So the question is, well, you know, why fly somewhere if you have to quarantine yourself for a couple days and then there, there's you can't go out to restaurants or do anything like that? That is starting to loosen up, and I think air travel is coming back. I am saying, though, from my personal experience, from the perspective of, of getting on an airplane, I have no hesitation. I guess I just don't feel concerned about it. Most everybody I see at the airport is wearing masks. People are complying with that. I just, candidly, I think I, I feel safer on an airplane flying to Florida than maybe I do at, I don't know, some rap concert in West Bend. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Nick and Hubertus. Nick, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thanks. What do you think? Well, me and my wife just uh, flew to Savannah last week um, to celebrate our one-year anniversary. And oh, Happy uh, anniversary. I love Savannah, one oh, of my favorite cities it, in the country. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And everybody on the flight had a mask. It was full. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't have any problem on the flight whatsoever with safety. I thought it was perfectly – I thought the flight attendants were great and everything yeah. – 
went well. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 there's there's more rules, but I mean, there's there, there's been rules since nine eleven, and you got to be willing to follow right. the rules. And like our our traffic out, Debbie Lazica says, you got to pack your patients sometimes, and it's a little bit annoying. Yes, and I wish they came around and served you diet coke instead of just water, and I wish you had a wider choice of stuff to eat. True. But it is what it is, yeah. and you know, you you get yep. through it. So you would have no hesitation getting on a plane again. No. Yeah, me Not neither. Whatsoever. No, thanks for calling. Me neither. Dave in Thank Illinois. You, yeah. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Nice Hi, talking to you again. Yeah, I'm going. To, I'm going to Las Vegas. I'm leaving on Easter Sunday, first flight out. I'm coming back the next Saturday. I have no quarrels about uh, flying or nothing like that. I work in public, two full time jobs. I went to public all the time, <laughs> and um, I, I, I think with all the precautions that we've been taking. And the fact that this immunization are going on, I don't think there's going to be any problems. And uh, if there has been a problem, I guarantee you, I'm sure the president or whoever would have been uh, blocking flights as it is. But there, you haven't heard about any major instances of outbreaks on planes at all this year. And I don't, I don't feel, I think there's going to be a problem. Yeah, Dave, thanks for the call. By the way, you, you are more than a pretty face. That that's That is a great point. You know, if... Look, and I, and I understand that that air travel isn't back all the way, but if if we were hearing stories, if there were any significant evidence that you were having super spreader events being caused by by people on on airlines or a, a disproportionate number of flight attendants or pilots or or you know the the road warriors, the people that are traveling all the time, if there was any story, any statistics that showed a disproportionate number of those folks were, were coming down and catching covid and things you you know you would hear about it, and the fact that you don't I think indicates pretty clearly that they they figured out the, the bugs in this. And look, I, I'm not saying it's a completely risk-free proposition, but going out to dinner isn't a completely risk-free proposition. Walking into the dry cleaners is not a completely risk-free proposition. proposition. I mean, the reality is, and I've argued this before, I mean, COVID is going to be with us maybe for the rest of our lifetimes. I mean, it is. And and so this idea that people say, well, we're I don't want to go out and I don't want to travel and I won't do anything until you can't get it. Well, that that's never been the goal. The goal has always been to fly flatten the curve. People will always be getting sick by this, and there's going to be a certain percentage who are going to choose not to get vaccinated, and those, those folks are going to be at risk, and that's that's just the way it's going to be, but it doesn't mean that you know people shouldn't be able to go out and live their lives. Jeff, we flew southwest to Phoenix in September, and then back two weeks later in October, no apprehension at all. They were leaving middle seats wide open. Then last month flew O'Hare to Phoenix on United for $65 round trip, Full flights. I am checking for deals again. Jeff, we're traveling to Texas and Arizona on motorcycles in April. Absolutely no COVID concerns. Um, however, the problems at the border, I'm now getting a little bit concerned about with Texas. Jeff, I have no hesitation flying domestically, but even short international flights are a problem. We had a three and a half hour trip planned to the Grand Cayman, but even if you're all vaccinated, you need a negative uh, test in Grand Cayman three days before the return flight. Yeah, international travel is, is a whole different cat. I mean, there, there's no question about it. And and I mean, I, I voiced that opinion because different countries have different rules. And that's really a situation where, you know, you I mean, if, if you've got a week 
and you you fly into i mean there, there's some countries you just flat can't get into and other countries you fly into and the deal is you have to quarantine for you know two or three days once you arrive well okay the half your vacation is gone and then the other real concern i have and, and they are having outbreaks in europe i mean italy is starting to talk about lockdowns again now in the first hour of the program i, I was arguing that if you look at the florida experience maybe we need to recognize that the, these lockdowns aren't aren't the best way to deal with it but that's a whole nother story but you know who wants to if if you've dreamed your entire life of gee i want to go to italy and i want to see rome and i want to see venice and i want to see florence well you know what if if three quarters of the things that you want to see aren't open well okay maybe this isn't the time to go so that's that's the big factor with you know international travel we have a a listener river cruise that was scheduled for september of last year um on and it's in and you fly to paris and you go up to normandy and all and of course that was postponed it, it's tentatively scheduled for early this september i have no idea whether it's going to happen or not again just because you just don't know what's going on in France, and and even if you can get into France, the question to my to me is going to be: All right, are, are the things that you want to see open? Because I, I desperately want to see Normandy. I desperately want to see all these sites. I'm excited about that. But if the stuff isn't open, well, okay, maybe another time would be another would be the better time to go. So, but I, I have no problem with flying in general, Jeff. I've been flying since April four times to Fort Myers. Um, when, um, one, one time my family and I, we were one of only seven on the plane. Um, in April, airports were ghost towns. October was no middle seats. December and February were full. Never felt safer germ wise. I used to call flying being a germ carrier. I'm flying again in mid April. Yeah, actually, the wearing the masks on the plane and, and I'm, I, I'm sort of agnostic when it comes to the whole mask thing, but I will tell you that, um, when, when I look back on the times that I've gotten colds or, or things like that, a lot of times I trace it to airplanes, you know, where inevitably I'm sitting across the aisle from the, the lady that's, you know, hacking up a lung or the kid that's sitting behind me who's just coughed for three hours and hasn't figured out how to cover their mouth. I, I just, it, it is funny because the last couple of times I've been on a plane and everybody's wearing masks, I, I've had no problem at all. Forget no COVID. It's just like, no, forget COVID. It's no no cold, no flu, no nothing. So kind of like bring bring it on. So I guess my point is if if you want to travel, and again, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, you shouldn't feel comfortable. If you, if you don't want to leave home, you shouldn't leave home if it's beyond your comfort factor. But for me, no problem getting on a plane. And it looks like more and more people are, are taking that attitude. Okay, when we're going to come back, when we come back, we'll find out what Eric and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.